From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, let the oversight hearings begin. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. And this is just the FBI. That was Chairman Jim Jordan at today's first hearing of the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. We'll get more from Congresswoman Harriet Hageman, a member of the Select Committee. Today's hearing comes on the heels of yesterday's probe into the collusion between Twitter and the federal government to silence conservative voices. The concern for me is the level of involvement the FBI had with not just Twitter, but all of our social media platform companies. The government doesn't have any role in suppressing speech. And that's something the media should be very concerned about. That was James Comer, chairman of the committee. So how does yesterday's testimony from former Twitter executives square with the information the attorney general of Louisiana, Jeff Landry, has uncovered in his suit over government censorship of conservative speech? Well, we're going to find that out when Liz Morrell, solicitor general of the state of Louisiana, joins me. And I discussed this measure Monday night in my state of faith, family and freedom. It's also not in the best interest of a child to make a decision that could have life-altering consequences, irreversible in many cases. And so, yes, I think it's distinctly in the best interest of a child to involve the parents. That was Delegate Dave LaRock of Virginia. The House of Delegates uh, Tuesday night approved a measure that protects children by involving parents in critical decisions, decisions when it comes to their gender identity. The bill passed out of the the assembly by uh, a vote of 50 to 48. So what's the next step? Well, we're going to talk with the author of the bill, Delegate Dave LaRock, a little bit later here on Washington Watch. Also, the president may have hoped his ignoring the Chinese spy balloon in his State of the Union address would just kind of make it mm, float away. Well, it didn't. The president downplayed the threat posed by the People's Republic of China and claimed without any evidence that the United States was in its strongest position to compete with China in decades. I'm not sure in what universe these remarks apply. Here's the real world. China's intelligence services just got a close-up look the entire U.S. mainland. That was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today. I'll be very frank. I think there's a lot more to this than we are seeing and hearing. We're going to talk with China expert Gordon Chang later here on Washington Watch. And this week's award for hypocrisy goes to the Biden administration. The Biden administration, which is suing, suing states that are prohibiting surgeries that remove healthy body parts of underage girls, has announced its support for the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. Washington Stand senior reporter and editor Ben Johnson has an enlightening piece at the Washington Stand. He joins us later on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah 18. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. You see, the Lord is the potter, and we're the clay. He will prevail. The passage continues, communicating the message that we should yield to the hand in the word of God. You know, we need to be like clay, not silly putty, which would forget God, as he talked about, resisting his word and worshiping the works of our own hands. To join us in this journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. All right. As I previewed on the program yesterday, the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government held its first hearing today. The hearing included testimony for Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley and focused on the documented, documented incidents of bias against conservatives from the Department of Justice. The subcommittee has both subpoena power, the ability to access Intelligence Committee information, and a commitment to follow the truth wherever it leads. Joining me now to discuss this is Congresswoman Harriet Hageman making her first appearance on Washington Watch since her recent election to Congress. She serves on the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. She represents the state of Wyoming's at-large congressional district. Congresswoman, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thank you, Tony. It's wonderful to be here. So tell us about today's hearing. This is a pretty significant committee, by the way, and congratulations on being put uh, onto this committee. Chairman Jim Jordan, longtime friend of mine and tenacious in getting to the facts. I am thrilled to see the work of this committee. Tell us about this first hearing today. Well, it is momentous and it is an incredibly important committee. We have to get to the bottom of what has been going on with our federal government. And the title or the the name of the the committee itself, I think, uh, tells exactly what we're looking into. The weaponization of these agencies and and the White House, the executive branch against citizens of this country, primarily focused on differences in in political opinion. Uh, The conservatives have been being targeted for quite some time. We know what the IRS did with the Tea Party. We know how the IRS was weaponized in order to make it so that our uh, various Tea Party groups could not get the the, uh, tax-exempt status that they needed to be able to operate. That was only the beginning. Well, maybe it wasn't even the beginning. Maybe that was something that had been going on for quite some time, but that's when we started seeing it being exposed. And that's what this hearing today is about and what what we will continue to do uh, in working on this committee to expose what's going on with the federal government. Uh, Senator Johnson is a frequent guest on on our program, and I listened to his testimony today, and he made reference to what you just talked about with the IRS. And, and, you know, you could say, well, you know, that was a one-off. But then he followed up, and some of the stuff that that he said, quite frankly, was shocking that Mm -hmm. the— our own government. I mean, here's, in fact, Senator Grassley, another longtime friend, a guest on this program, both of them saying that the FBI, the federal government, trying to undermine the work that they were doing to try to expose what was happening. In fact, marginalizing and discrediting their work. Uh, both of them gave very powerful testimony. I knew some of the backstory with what they had been doing and what they had been subjected to. But even today, they were only given 10 to 12 minutes to be able to explain in a very succinct form what they've been through and what they've uncovered. And what they discussed is just really shocking in in, in a republic like the United States of America. We always have to remember that the government is only there to protect our natural rights. And the fact that it has been weaponized the way that it has to go after the political enemies of the 
Democrats is something that should be frightening to everyone. And they expose today exactly that, what, what happens when the federal government becomes the enemy of the people. Now, I know you're just getting started. I mean, it's a first hearing, but I know you've been preparing for this. This is new. You've come to Washington uh, to serve the, the folks of Wyoming. Are you surprised at just how bad it is, even though you knew there was a problem? Is it worse than you thought? I think in probably in some ways it's going to be I'm going to find that it's worse than I thought. But I also am heartened by the fact that we're getting the information out there. Uh, I have been paying a lot of attention to this for quite some time. As you may know, I'm a water and natural resource and constitutional attorney. So I've been focusing on what the federal government is doing to the the, the great citizens of this country in my my practice, Mm -hmm. in my legal work. And so I've been fully aware at how the federal government especially has been targeting uh, conservatives, Republicans, religious organizations to further a liberal uh, political agenda. And so some of the information I'm well aware of, I believe that over the next year, year and a half, as we continue with these kinds of hearings, I think we will be uncovering incredibly important information to make sure that our government is held accountable. Well, Congresswoman, I think the committee's already having an effect. Yesterday on our program, we had uh, one of your fellow uh, committee members, Dan Bishop, was on the program, and uh, a a report, a news article had come out about the FBI and a memo targeting radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. And this was this came out of the Richmond field office last month, warning that this group was a threat or groups. And it was based upon information from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a discredited leftist organization, Mm -hmm. which has targeted us and led to a shooting here at our building. Uh, But today, I mean, within, you know, uh, 30 minutes of the start of the uh, subcommittee hearing, they released a uh, a statement retracting that memo. So I think the committee is already (laughs) holding government accountable. I, I think that's exactly right. And But them retracting that letter does not mean that we should not get to the bottom of why it was written in the first place, because that is a culture and mentality that we need to ferret out and find out where it's coming from, why it is finding a foothold in the FBI. Excellent point. Uh, that it, we, we can't just, even when they correct something, Excellent we need point. to get to the underlying reason as to why it happened. You are absolutely correct. Thank you for bringing that, because it is a culture This is a cultural issue at the FBI and in the government that, and this happens all the time, you catch them, oh, oh, that was a mistake. We didn't mean to do that. And so it is the underlying culture, and uh, I I am thankful this committee is there. So uh, I know your time is short, but I want to ask you one final question. The subcommittee has said it is committed to following the truth wherever it takes them. What do you anticipate next? Well, I think that we're going to be looking at a variety of issues. One of them that has been raised is the the level of surveillance that we're all under uh, with this government. You you talked about the Chinese balloon, and obviously we had a foreign incursion over the last 10 days from China. But we also have a federal government that is surveilling us in so many ways, whether it's as something as, as requiring all livestock producers to use radio frequency identification ear tags. Why would the USDA be 
be trying to impose something like that against our livestock producers. Uh, we need there's there's a whole variety of issues that we need to get to the bottom of. This is a First Amendment panel that we're talking about now. This is a, a an issue about protecting the First Amendment and making sure that the FBI and DOJ are not infringing on our First Amendment rights. Uh, First Amendment in, in terms of freedom of speech, but also freedom of religion, as you just described with the letter that that, you, that we discussed. Uh, but surveillance is a big one, and also just using agencies in a way to uh, punish political enemies, which is something that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, this is the final question. Citizens who have encountered things like this, can they communicate this to the committee to, to look at? Absolutely. Absolutely. They need to get a hold of the folks that are on that committee. They can get a hold of, of our individual offices. The information from my office, for example, is on our website. Uh, if people have information of things that they have, that they, that they, personal information about ways in which the government is working against the citizens, then we'd like to know that. All right. We'll, we'll put a link up to your uh, site on our site. Congresswoman Hageman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, great to meet you. And again, grad- congratulations on your election. Thank you. We'll visit soon. All right. Take care. All right. You heard that. If you've experienced those things, you can contact members of this select committee on the weaponization of the federal government. We've got a link at uh, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, I want to thank all of those, uh, all of you who have uh, signed our Newsmax uh, petition, the petition that's going to DirecTV and AT&T that is censoring Newsmax, took them off of DirecTV because they're conservative. It's the censorship that we're talking about. If you've not yet done that, text the word Newsmax to 67742. That's Newsmax to 67742 or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking with the the Solicitor General of the state of Louisiana that had, they've sued the federal government to find out more about the collusion. And I want to find out how that squares with what came forth from the Twitter executives yesterday. What have they found out? That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday's hearing from the House Oversight and Accountability Committee uh, brought to light uh, continued revelations of federal collusion and interference with the social media giant Twitter. Now, as we've uh, talked about before, I don't think it's isolated to Twitter. You know, viewers and listeners of this program may remember that the state attorneys general of Louisiana, Missouri, filed a recent lawsuit against the federal government alleging that the suppression of disfavored voices on YouTube Uh, Facebook and Twitter platforms violates the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Now, this came up yesterday in the hearing that, you know, a a private entity can restrict what they have on their platform and the speech that takes place. But federal government, if they reach in and say, hey, I want you to silence those people over there, uh, take them off, that becomes a First Amendment violation. Now, what I want to do is kind of compare what the attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri kind of discovered, and they're still in this process of discovery, their lawsuit continues, kind of looking to see if it squares with the testimony yesterday from the former Twitter executives. Joining me now to discuss this is the Louisiana Solicitor General, Liz Merle. Liz, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Tony. Now, we had uh, the Attorney General, Jeff Landry, on the program discussing this uh, topic uh, last month. Uh, Give us first, before we go into yesterday, uh, the update on the status of your lawsuit and uh, who you are targeting in that lawsuit. Well, our lawsuit was filed against the federal government, and, and we've amended those pleadings since this lawsuit began to add more parties add more agencies and conduct discovery regarding more individuals' participation in this scheme, you know, I think what's been really revealing is in the process of discovery, which is for non-lawyers, it's a procedure in which we can go through under the court supervision where the plaintiffs have to provide us with information. And third parties also sometimes have to provide us with information when we send them subpoenas. And that's what really created this whole 
thing because we were able to get information from Twitter and, and Facebook that revealed a widespread coordinated conspiracy led by them and pushed by the federal government to censor people's speech. You know, they were, you know, I, I, I don't, I didn't watch every moment of yesterday's uh, hearing, listening to the testimony, but I listened to a lot of it. And, you know, essentially was saying, well, the federal government didn't force us or didn't tell us to do this. I'm just wondering if what you are discovering in this process is going to, well, it's going to reveal that some people weren't telling the truth. Well, I think it does. I think most of all, it reveals to the people that we are telling that, that we are telling the truth that this conspiracy existed. I, I think the most important thing to come out of these hearings is to shed some daylight on how vast it was, how easy it was to for the government and large corporations who control these tech platforms to collaborate and, and coordinate with the federal government in order to censor speech. In some cases, that was being identified straight from the White House as speech that they didn't like and that they wanted to see changed. We still have a lot of work to do to continue to investigate the, in this case, but so far, it has certainly been enough to justify these oversight hearings. And I think that that's been a very welcome outcome of the last round of elections. So, Solicitor General Merle, let me ask you this question. Based upon the discovery and the information that you have, do you feel pretty confident that there was collusion with the federal government and the social media platforms to silence and to squelch the voice of conservatives? Well, absolutely. I think that's what the documents reveal. They show back and forth conversations about very, sometimes very specific posts. Um, they reveal an entire portal that was created to facilitate easier and faster movement by the platforms to identify speech. It goes well beyond COVID. We've also identified um, discussions that would involve clearly protected speech under the First Amendment. And that really ought to frighten everyone um, in, in terms of the, the ease with which the federal government obtained cooperation from corporations to censor protected speech and then created a massive mechanism feeding right from the federal government in which to drive the speech that they wanted censored. It's very frightening. Uh, you know, I'm not asking for legal advice here, but what measures based when all this is said and done and your information comes out and we see Congress in these hearings, you know, providing information, getting information that validates all of this. And we have all this information out here and it looks very clear that there are many Americans whose First Amendment rights were violated. Will they have any legal recourse? You know, I think individuals would. Individuals would be able to seek, um, they might be able to file some actions against the federal government. Those, you know, there's that's a complicated process, and it's, it's a long process. Sometimes the wheels of government, especially the wheels of justice in the courts, can move very slowly. I think at the end of the day, we need Congress to act to make sure this kind of thing can never happen again. And that's part of Congress's job in overseeing these agencies. It should never have gone this far. Mm -hmm. It should never have been able to happen um, as that, that the American public would be targeted this way for disfavored speech. 
Uh, and I, I think that at the end of the day, Congress needs to look at this very closely and see what they can do to make sure that their own agencies are held accountable and restricted so that this can't happen again. Well, Solicitor General Merle, I want to thank you for the work that you and the Attorney General there in Louisiana, my good friend Jeff Landry, have been doing on this because if it weren't for the state attorneys general, this information wouldn't be coming forth. So thank you. We look forward to talking to you as uh, this process, discovery process, continues as we find out more information. Thank you. We'll keep, we will keep working on it. All right. And we all have a part to play in this, folks. As I was talking about earlier, this censorship that's taken place. And it's big corporations, and not just uh, Facebook, Twitter, but AT&T, DirecTV, taking off Newsmax. You've not yet signed that petition to AT&T and DirecTV. Text Newsmax to 67742. That's 67742, the word Newsmax, or go to TonyPerkins.com. Look, we have to stand up for those who provide a platform for the exchange of ideas and opinions. Okay, don't go away, because on the other side of the break, guess what? More Washington Watch straight ahead. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Website, TonyPerkins.com. And if you've not yet signed the petition to DirecTV regarding Newsmax, you can do so. Text the word Newsmax to 67742. 67742. I'm telling you what, the censorship is unbelievable. They're trying to silence the conversations 
of conservatives and the information. And that's why this program, quite frankly, is so important, because we're taking these issues on and we're helping those who are on the front lines getting it done. Now, if you tuned in to my State of Faith, Family, and Freedom Address Monday night, you heard me talk about a 14-year-old girl in Virginia named Sage. She was removed from her parents' custody to protect her from misgendering. Now, the devastating results from this uh, state action led her to being trafficked twice and undergoing multiple, multiple sexual assaults. The school and the state were so insistent that she could be harmed by her parents because they wouldn't affirm her uh, chosen gender identity, that they kept her in a male children's home where she was repeatedly assaulted, even as her parents battled for custody. Now, in response to the outcry, the Virginia House of Delegates passed SAGE's law this week, which requires that schools notify parents if their child socially transitions. It prohibits teachers from hiding that transition, and it uh, clarifies that the meaning of child abuse does not include so-called misgendering. This is a common-sense response to a horrible tragedy. But you know what? Not a single Democrat in the Virginia House supported this bill. Joining me now to discuss this is Virginia Delegate Dave LaRock. He represents the 33rd District of Virginia, and he's the one that was championing the SAGE law. Dave, welcome to Washington Watch. Glad to be with you, Tony. So, Delegate LaRock, let me ask you this question. Why is legislation like this so important in your view? Well, Tony, the the common element in the position that SAGE's law takes and and what the the people who are voting against it uh, have is that we all want to protect children. Uh, Now, SAGE isn't unique. Uh, I I expect perhaps the degree to which she's been violated is hopefully rare. But we we seem to have some agreement that parents have a place. But this, this, for some reason, this area of LGBT rights is just off limits to to Democrats. Um, It's this identity politics that requires them to either be uh, Democrats, to either be 100% affirming of everything LGBT, even in this case where um, clearly it's it's harmed uh, SAGE and in other instances completely deprived parents of their opportunity to even to, to either counsel a child, possibly even in the direction of affirming them, but it, it you know, or, or just cause them to kind of put things on hold, slow things down. But uh, uh, the uh, they had a press conference the other day, a couple of days ago. I attended it, sat in the front row. I wanted to see what, if any, common ground we, we could have um, to, to help protect these kids. But uh, no interest whatsoever. Yeah. They, they completely condemn every everything we're doing. So, Delegate LaRock, this um, seems very consistent with Governor Yunkin's agenda. We had him on the program, I think, last week or week before. And, you know, he's about empowering parents. And that's this is about empowering parents to protect their children. And it simply says the schools can't hide this from the parents who should be involved in the lives of their children on such things as, you know, this is quite significant. Especially when you have courts stepping in and refusing to allow 
parents to be involved in the lives of their children. So this piece of legislation addresses that. It passed out of the Virginia House 50 to 48. Again, I mentioned no Democrats supporting it. It now goes to the Senate. So explain the next steps and how people can help. Well, um, Tony, I know you're very much a believer in the power of prayer. And uh, we need to be praying that, that A, we will pass this to protect children, but also to have a wonderful testimony that uh, all things are possible with God. They, they have dug in and um, sworn that uh, they will not let this get out of a subcommittee. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't accept that. Um, we have to uh, hang in there. And, um, you know, a politician's strongest instinct is self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that their loyalty to, uh, there'll be some that'll do what's right because it's right. Uh, some will see that the public just isn't supporting uh, the, the the status quo, which is allowing schools to step in and, and uh, push parents out, uh, as they sort of did, I think, in our recent governor's race. Right. Uh, do it because they see that uh, um, if they if they find themselves on the wrong side of this, then then you know things will get difficult for them with an election coming up. So I hope that they we have a petition um, online. What we'll be doing is. Asking the people in 24 hours, I think we had a thousand people sign up just from our our own candidate Facebook page. And um, if we can get those people to target the this what perhaps are the swing votes on this, um, it really could move things in the right direction. Right. Give day. us uh, very quickly. Give us your website where I can send people so they can get more information. Okay. Yeah. It is vote. LaRock, L-A-R-O-C-K dot U-S and the petition. All right. V-O-T-E, vote LaRock dot U-S. All right. We've got to leave it there. We're up against a break. Delegate LaRock, let me thank you again for your leadership on this. And thanks so much for joining us today. And we're going to be tracking it. Can't thank you enough, Tony, for being with us on this. All right. And folks, if you missed that, go to TonyPerkins.com. You can find it there as well. All right. Coming up next, President Biden didn't think that China spy balloon was a big deal. Didn't even mention it in the State of the Union. We're going to talk about it next. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? 
Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. All right. Earlier today, the State Department released new details regarding China's surveillance balloon program, declassifying information that uh, indicates sophisticated efforts to spy on more than 40 countries across five continents. The agency also expressed confidence the balloon's manufacturer had direct commercial ties to the Chinese military. What conclusions can we draw from the State Department going so public with this information? a week removed from the Biden administration's previous attempts to downplay the entire affair. I mean, again, in the State of the Union address on Monday night, the president, there was one sentence regarding this. The entire nation was focused on this for a week, and he didn't even talk about it. Joining me now to talk about this is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great China U.S.-China Tech War, Gordon Chang. You can follow him on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. All right, tell us what you know about today's revelations from the State Department. Well, the State Department said that China has a fleet of balloons. Um, They have surveilled countries in five continents, more than 40 countries. This is something that uh, China watchers have known Um, But obviously, the Pentagon was not alive to it because there were balloon intrusions, for instance, during the Trump administration, which they were unaware of. And I think that they have become aware of it um, when they look back through all of the data that they have collected. There were a lot of things that they sloughed off, which they didn't understand at the time. But now they realize the most likely explanation are Chinese surveillance balloons. But China has demanded the return of uh, the the remains of their balloon. Um, I'm assuming that we're going to be able to find out a lot more about their program by analyzing what we're able to recover. Yes, um, we'll find out what that surveillance package under the balloon actually was able to uh, find. 
But also, I think that uh, we're hearing indications that uh, there were U.S. components in the Chinese surveillance package. And that could very well mean that U.S. parties get prosecuted for selling sensitive materials, materials that uh, were not uh, could not be sold to China. So there's going to be a lot that we're going to learn. And it's not just Chinese villains. It's perhaps American villains as well. Well, we've seen that already when it comes to the surveillance that's going on in the country of China, of uh, like the Uyghurs and others, that has been facilitated by U.S. companies. Of course, that's now being exported to other countries as well, even coming back to the to the United States. Uh, uh, Gordon, uh, this is obviously negligence on behalf of our, our military, but could it be that they were not expecting a lower-tech uh, surveillance system of balloons, and they were looking for things in space as opposed to things in the sky? Yes, and I think the Pentagon is really not of a mindset to deal with China. Um, they, they just have don't have the right framework for thinking about this. And so you have these threats. Yes. You know, we heard the NORAD commander, General Van Herc, um, say, well, look, yeah, we detected it, but we didn't do anything about it. And the question is, why not? Either the general just did not understand the nature of this Chinese balloon, or his rules of engagement were clearly insufficient to protect the American homeland. That's or an ex- maybe both. extremely important point. Even going to the president's statement in his State of the Union address about, you know, we're, we, we, we don't want conflict, we're just competitors. I, that puts yes, us on well, the wrong footing with China. In fact, I'm sure you've commented on it, the memo that came from the four-star general in the Air Force saying that we could be at war with China and, and by 2025, and people were quick to dismiss that. So anyone that's in the military trying to put us in that right footing is uh, dismissed and marginalized. Yes, and this is the president's fault. Um, for instance, as you point out, in the State of the Union, He made no direct reference to the balloon incident. There was one sentence which was indirect. In his um, interview with Judy uh, Woodruff, um, he laughed off the entire thing. And today, CNN reported that Biden administration officials actually testified before a closed session of a congressional hearing that they did not want to shoot down the balloon at an early stage when they could have done so over uninhabited territory because they were afraid of China's reaction. I mean, they were intimidated into def- from defending the U.S. on our own territory. I mean, this is just outrageous. And that's really the president's fault because he sets the tone on China. He won't even call China an adversary. And, and I think that they are more than just an adversary. They're an enemy because that's the way they think of us. So let me ask you this question, Gordon Chang. From the Chinese perspective, how do they interpret what has unfolded here in the United States? There, there are a couple of alternative explanations for why um, China authorized this balloon flight. One of them is that the Chinese military has now become so politically powerful that they can do what they want, and they are very much want to uh, show the United States that uh, we're done. Um, we're no longer a power. Xi Jinping, um, another explanation would be that he did this to basically intimidate us, um, to show the world um, that the U.S. is incapable of defending itself, uh, and so therefore they should ditch the U.S. and should obey China. There are a number of ways we can look at this, but none of them are good. Uh, and what we what this really says is that there is real turmoil at the top of the Communist Party and that the hardliners, uh, if anybody is in charge, they are. 
I would have to imagine under any circumstance, when you look at what occurred, yes, we shot down the balloon after it uh, came across the, uh, the entire country. And then in the president's speech, he did not display any anger a righteous indignation against China for breaching our borders and our airspace and snooping on America. He was dismissive of it at best. This has to embolden communist China. You know, yes, it does. And and the way it does, especially because, you know, we had uh, the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin try to establish a communication uh, link with uh, the defense minister in China. And and what that does, and we don't realize it, we think it's sort of responsible. We think of restraint as being the right course of action. But the Chinese view it as um, weakness. Yeah. And and essentially what we have been doing, and not just with this, this incident, but over the course of decades. So there's a lot of presidents responsible. What we have done is we've emboldened the worst elements in the Chinese political system by showing everybody else that belligerence works. The Chinese engage in in provocative conduct, and we don't impose costs. And everybody then thinks, well, why don't we engage in something even more belligerent because we're going to get away with it? And in fact, China has gotten away with it. Republicans, Democrats, liberals and conservatives in the Oval Office, China has gotten the better of us at every turn. So, you know, this should not be a surprise to the American people. And we obviously need to change course immediately. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to keep probing and probing and see how far they can push. And of course, we know, uh, going back to comments from General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, you know, after the election, he wrote in his, uh, you know, he made statements uh, that, you know, he called his Chinese counterpart to assure him that if Donald Trump was going to do anything, he would let them know. That, to me, is a, is a real key point in the problem we have, that we have a military that is uh, interacting with the Chinese, wanting to give them advance warning of actions we might take. Yeah, um, the word treason comes to mind. Um, you know, the United States has a constitutional mechanism for dealing with a commander-in-chief who is not capable. And if General Milley thought that President Trump was not capable, was not competent to serve as commander-in-chief, he should have tried to invoke the 25th Amendment. But what he decided to do was to go around and talk to our enemy. And he should have been fired for that. Yeah. Gordon Chang, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Appreciate you staying focused on this issue. Thank you so much, Tony. And stay safe. All right. right, Will do. Gordon G. Chang on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Uh, excellent source of information on what's happening on China. In fact, I follow him on Twitter to see what he has to say. And, of course, I have him on the program, and I can ask him. All right. You know, we've been talking about the president's State of the Union address. And uh, I tell you what, the you know, the president opened up talking about wanting to restore the soul of the nation. But but how do you do that when you, you want to make abortion legal, or actually you want to force it on the entire nation until birth, abortion until birth nationwide, Pass bills that uh, force religious employers to hire people who identify as transgender, trampling on religious freedom in the process, transgendering our children, like we were just talking about with Delegate LaRock. I mean, how do you restore the soul of a nation doing that? I'm telling you what, the the president told some real whoppers in his State of the Union address. Well, joining me now to, uh, to discuss this and some other items 
who um, kind of fact-checking the president's address is Ben Johnson, senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand. I encourage you to read the article he wrote analyzing the entire speech currently at Washington Stand. That's WashingtonStand.com. Ben, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always a privilege. Thank you. So the president spoke about the duty to protect all people's rights and freedoms. But what he said after that suggests that this really is just about the interest of a few, not all. Well, based on his remarks, I think the president only wants to protect abortionists, labor unions and the transgender lobby. Uh, The Women's Health Protection Act is one of the things that he alluded to. He talked about codifying Roe. In fact, the so-called Women's Health Protection Act would go far beyond Roe would strike down approximately 1,400 state pro-life laws that were on the books when Roe was operative. He also talked about passing the so-called Equality Act, which, as you said, would force Christians to hire LGBTQ employees, would eliminate women's privacy in intimate facilities, and it would prevent Christians from defending themselves with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act signed by President Bill Clinton. He also talked about signing the Pro Act, which would strike down right-to-work laws. So he's putting union rights ahead of workers' rights, LGBTQ rights ahead of women's and Christians' rights, and eliminating all the rights of Americans who are not yet born. Uh, Ben, um, there's a lot more that we could spend unpacking in the president's State of the Union address. And again, that uh, piece that Ben has written, uh, thoroughly analyzing it, you can find it at thewashingtonstand.com. But I want to go to another topic uh, that you've written about that also you have a piece up at the WashingtonStand.com. And it, it, it shows the, the hypocrisy of this administration where they are suing. They are suing states that have passed laws that would protect children from mutilation, from removing healthy body parts as a part of this whole uh, transgender agenda. But then they announced that they are celebrating the, um, uh, the, the the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation, and the FBI is going to be enforcing this law. How, how can you do both? Well, not you can't at all if you have a very well-defined worldview and an understanding of what's happening in both cases. Uh, In fact, the FBI said they would enforce this law as a form of child abuse. Uh, And yet at the same time, as you say, the Biden Justice Administration, the Justice Department, is trying to sue states, uh, including already filing lawsuits in Arkansas and Alabama against states that are protecting underage girls from so-called gender reassignment surgery. Of course, female genital mutilation is a horrible practice, primarily concentrated in sub-Saharan Africa and African Arab nations. Uh, but you know, you've got the irony here that while he's against that, uh, he's opening the floodgates for the predatory gender reassignment industry to have access to underage girls' bodies. So as I got to researching this article for The Washington Stand, uh, I found that they have very similar side effects. They, uh, transgender surgeries also render women infertile for life. So we might say that he's taking steps against female genital mutilation, but he's in favor of female genital mutation uh, here at home. Yeah, and and this is, you know, to be clear, as you pointed out, this is something that in my role at USERF when I was chair there, we spoke out uh, very forcefully about because it is usually underage girls that this takes place with. And it is uh, primarily something that happens internationally, but it is now happening here in the United States. And so I I support the fact that the, the, 
the, the FBI would speak out against this to protect uh, uh, children from this. But it's the hypocrisy that I have a problem with, that they're now suing states that are taking actions to protect children from, as you described, the, the, the sexual uh, or the transgender surgeries that render them uh, infertile for for life. But there, there seems to be no end to the hypocrisy of this administration. Well, certainly not. And uh, it, the Justice Department wrote a letter to all 50 states' attorney general uh, telling them that uh, there may, in fact, be a constitutional right for underage children, minors, unemancipated minors, to have uh, the access to what they call gender-affirming care. But, in fact, uh, as, as I go into in the article at uh, WashingtonStand.com, there is very little difference in terms of uh, the actual function of, yeah. of both uh, of things, both that which they are affirming and that which they are condemning at the same time. Yeah, the scripture says that out of the same uh, stream, you should not have salt water and fresh water. Brackish water should not come from a healthy stream. And yet that's precisely what you're hearing coming out of the mouth of officials in the Biden administration. Yeah, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Ben Johnson, thanks so much for uh, joining us today and, and, and bring this to our attention through the Washington stand. Thank you, as always. All right, it's Ben Johnson. In fact, you can find that article at thewashingtonstand.com. If you've not yet signed the petition to DirecTV and AT&T that, have take, that has taken Newsmax off the air, text Newsmax to 67742. we got to stand with this conservative news outlet. Amazing the censorship that is taking place. Information that they don't want you to have. Again, Newsmax, 67742, or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.